When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The terrible thing happened at night, as most terrible things do. While I clicked, clicked away at my home job as a transcriptionist, I'd often watch the boys playing in the backyard. They'd be at it for hours, acting out some scene with foam swords and plastic guns, only stopping when the sun left to rise elsewhere. Seeing Mason made me happy. He'd finally found a friend. His father left us when he was six months old and, more or less, held no role in his life. I mean, sure, there were the occasional visits every few years, but... Even those were short and feigned, not even so much as an annual birthday card. And perhaps that was why Mason anchored himself such a secure distance from other kids, a point driven home by his fifth grade teacher and several others. Part of me didn't blame him. Kids in school, especially the ones I can recall, weren't the friendliest bunch. I mean, if you were lucky, you could pick out the sharks from the minnows and avoid them. But honestly, they all looked the same, twined together in the same concrete box. Please give him a best friend. I'd whisper at my bedside every night, sending out the same message to God. Or at least to something just as benevolent to hear my prayer. Give my son his first best friend, please. And then, one day, much to my wonderment, Mason brought Todd home for a playdate. He was a petite boy with mismatched clothes, unkempt hair, and the bluest eyes that you'd ever seen. I was ecstatic, relieved that my son had finally cracked open his shell and found a buddy. I saw him at the park, Mason told me when I asked how they met. He was sitting alone at the swings, like he was sad. And when he saw me on my bike, he waved and I waved back, and then we hung out and he was really cool. As he shared this, I couldn't help but smile at his excitement. So much deserved by the loneliest boy in the world. 
That night, they had a sleepover and passed out in the living room. From my bedroom, I could hear the muffled speech of our television, which they had left on. Sighing, I untucked myself out of bed and walked sluggishly down to the stairs to them. Light from the screen pulsed and stretched over the sleeping boys. Mason was swaddled in his blanket on the floor, while Todd was curled up on the couch. I scanned for the remote, and after no luck, I moved to shut it off myself, and then a lone bag of chips crinkled under my foot. From the couch, Todd's shape twitched and then bolted upright. I meant to say sorry, but I was stopped short. When Todd jutted awake and opened his eyes, I couldn't see them. They hadn't rolled up in their sockets or slipped to their sides. They were simply gone. Two holes of singular darkness. Now Todd had blue eyes, vividly blue eyes, but at that instant, not even the glow of the television reflected off those dark membranes, black as Santa's coal. Then he blinked and the eyes turned normal. Before I could say anything, his mouth stretched into a yawn and his body slumped back into the cushions. I was stiff as a board, somewhat relieved I hadn't shrieked and woken them both up. My thoughts told me it was a trick of the light, as did any speck of reason. Vision played games with you that way. I switched off the television and went back to bed. A few weeks later, on an especially windy evening, a knock came at the door. Todd was there as usual, seesawing on his soles patiently. Hi there, I smiled. Hi, he smiled back, his thin neck cocked. Can Mason come out and play? Before I even had to answer, Mason was already squeezed past me, still working one of his arms through his jacket sleeve. Bye, Mom. I watched as they disappeared down the street. The rule was to be back before dark, and to their credit, the boys always returned just as the sky started to dim. And on that particular outing, they came home with some cool rocks they found in dirt-clotted sneakers. By the time Todd was ready to walk back home, it had fallen too dark for him to go alone. I gave him a ride, with both boys in the back seat. It wasn't a far drive, as his house was only a few streets away. And every so often, my eyes would slip back to the rear view and see Todd watching the street, Mason dozing off next to him. As we passed beneath the street lamps, a bar of light would creep through the window, roll over his face, and vanish over his head. The car suddenly rocked as my wheels rolled too hastily over a speed hump, his gaze left the window and met mine. Only this time, as the slanted light skimmed over his features, blue eyes did not look back at me. They were gone, blotted out by the same oily darkness. Silent, murky circles. Even his skin, in just that quick moment, looked different. Like dry, molted clay fit poorly over his skull lips bloodlessly shriveled. I slammed on the brake, jostled all of us with a sudden lurch. Mason gasped himself into wide-eyed awareness. As fast as it had happened before, 
The straight-faced horror in my back seat returned to a sweet young boy, shocked and surprised. Sorry, I breathed. Uh, sorry about that, guys. I thought I saw a cat in the road. We reached Todd's house, a white ranch style with a flowering dogwood tree in the front yard. And as the boys said their goodbyes, I could only stare into the dashboard, my heart sending tremors down my arms. The world felt off its tilt, as if the lines separating actuality and nonsense were blurred. I was disoriented by how real it seemed. His eyes felt like deep, dark wells. His unhealthy skin stretched and pulled like a death mask. My thoughts clashed with the fold of my brain that formed logic, and eventually, logic won. It was all in my head. Period. But despite how far-fetched it sounded, I actively avoided eye contact with Todd, not even giving a sliver of opportunity for that oily pitch to return. If it even happened in passing glance or a quick double-take, I'd be back to circling the rim of a mental collapse. A week later, I went to pick up Mason from Todd's house. I pulled up along the curb, texted, I'm here, and I waited there for some time. There was no sign he'd read my message, nor did he answer any of my calls. When I got tired of waiting, I twisted the keys out of the ignition and made my way up the slim walkway. The house was missing a great deal of shingles, which scarred its roofline in dark patches. The rain gutters were clogged and stunk of decomposing leaves. I knocked briskly and waited. The door unlocked, held only partially open by a door chain. Yes? His face peeking out. His voice was nasally, like it was lodged somewhere in his throat, right in the pit of it. Hi, I'm Holly, I'm Mason's mom. I'm here to pick him up. The door closed and then opened fully as the chain slid out of its holder. The man on the other end was lanky with onset baldness widening his forehead, his eyes tired and heavy. Oh, I'm sorry about that. He said, flashing a thin-lipped smiling, offering a handshake. Uh, David, the boys are probably still on their way back, but they'll be here any minute now. You could come inside and wait if you'd like. I've got some tea ready to go. I took him up on his offer and followed him inside. At our immediate right was the living area, where a woman was sat watching a rom-com on the television. Paying no mind to the sound of the door, she kept her back to us. Beneath the show's timed laugh track, I could hear the sound of hard-labored breathing. Hanging over the side of the sofa drooped a thin, skeletal wrist. On the wall, a gray Kit-Kat clock shifted its eyes and wagged its tail. The kitchen was small, with a triangular arrangement of sink, stove, and refrigerator, a small dance between the three. Flowery wallpaper looped around the room. A formica-top table sat against the wall with minty green chairs. I took a seat in one as David retrieved some cups from the cabinet. The smell of light orchid drifted throughout the air. I hope you like green tea, he said quietly as he filled the cups and brought them over. Green is fine, I replied, taking the cup from him. Thank you. 
He planted himself in a chair. They're really fond of each other, aren't they? The boys, I mean. I'd say so. You could hardly keep Mason away, I laughed. By this point, I had noticed the dark pouches beneath his eyes more clearly. In fact, his overall appearance seemed to hang in a mournful sag. Whatever supplement he needed, he was missing a lot of it. So, how long have you been in the neighborhood? I asked for the sake of conversation. Oh, uh, well, a good while now, he mused, rubbing a finger along his cup. Really? I'm surprised Mason didn't meet Todd sooner. Our houses aren't too far from each other. Todd? He asked, as though needing a moment to remember his own son's name. Oh, yeah, that is pretty surprising. He, um, he gets around. Mason never sees him at school, does he go to a different district? Lines creased his mouth. School, well, uh, we... From the living room, a harsh guttural coughing reached us. David's neck swiveled towards the sound. Excuse me, my wife needs me. He left his chair and hastily went to her. And not long after that, the front door opened as Todd and Mason arrived. As we said our goodbyes to David and his silent wife, he clasped my hand in a tight shake. It was very nice to meet you, Holly. Really, it was... When he released his grip, I realized something was left in my palm. When we were back in the car, I folded it open. What's that, Mom? Mason asked. Oh, it's nothing, sweetie. I smiled back at him, placing the crumbled note in my lap. A phone number, a time to call, and the word help scribbled into its loose leaf. It was nightfall when I unfurled and read it again. I was in the backyard occupying a seat at our fire pit, my cell phone in one hand and a cigarette pinched in the other. The note said to call at 8, which was only 5 minutes away. As the time drew closer, my chest grew tighter with anxiousness. Moments ago, I'd snuck into my own room, pulled out the bottom shelf of my dresser, and unearthed the pack of Marlboros hidden there. Three years I'd been without them. In three years, I'd kept my promise to Mason to stop smelling like an ashtray. But tonight, shamefully, they were the only thing holding me together. When the clock on my phone pulsed eight, I took a long drag on the cigarette and dialed the number. The tone churred in and out a few times and finally connected. Hello? David's voice chattered on the other end. Who is this? Right now. My heart rattled in my throat. It's Holly, Mason's mom. The voice exhaled and returned briskly. I need you to listen to me, okay? Are you listening? Yes, I'm listening. Keep it away from your boy. The fire pit popped and spat a few embers. Keep what away? What are you talking about? Listen. He snapped, a manic weight to his words. Don't let Mason come over here anymore. It isn't safe for him. Don't even let it go over there. You have to stop this now. Twisted my neck back towards the house and then leaned forward in my chair. Are we talking about your son, right? No. 
isn't my son, he scorned. Not at all. Not in any way. You need to calm down. If you need help, then I could call the police. No. No police, he screamed. His voice was so tight and stressed that it splintered on the other end. It will take more from her if you do that. My wife, she can't handle much more. It's taking something from her. Taking something from me. We can't get rid of it now. And it's too late for us, but not for you. You can stop this. He started to weep and mutter to himself. It came to our door to use the phone. Why did we let it in? Why did we let it use the phone? Something stirred in his background. He paused and then whispered. Keep it away from him. And then he hung up. I'm not sure how long I sat out there, but it was long enough for the flames to shrink into powdery mounds. When I entered the house again, Mason was on the couch with his tablet. You smell weird, he said, taking note of me. It's the fire pit. I lied, my thoughts too heavy to muster anything else. He flashed me a big smile and tactfully asked, Can I have a sleepover at Todd's this weekend? No, I answered stiffly. That isn't going to work. Why not? He persisted. Todd always sleeps over here. Why can't we go to his house? Because, Mason, I said no. That's the end of the story. He shot an icy look of defiance at me. Fine. Then he'll sleep over here then. No, he won't. We're going to take a break from Todd for a while. His jaw opened, flabbergasted. You can't do that. I just did, I said, perhaps a little too matter-of-factly. As I walked back up the stairs, I could feel the burn of his eyes watching me on every step. Both of our nights now ruined. David's deranged garble on the phone sat with me for the rest of the night. I had no idea what to do, what to fix, what to think. Keep it away. It isn't safe for him. The message, so vague but also desperately clear. I had to keep Mason safe. That was all that mattered. The next day after Mason was back from school, I sat him down on the couch. Mason, look, I'm sorry for last night, I said. I was very stressed, but that's not the way I want us to speak to each other again, okay? His eyes naturally scanned the floor. Okay. I love you, Mason, and no matter what, I want you to be safe, so there's a few things I need to know about Todd. Can you do that for me? He nodded again, his sneakers softly kicking the backpack slumped on the carpet. Did he ever act weird or strange to you? His head shook. What about his parents? Did he act different around them at all? Same answer. I wasn't sure how to word the next question, but I did my best anyway. Did he ever do something with his eyes? This time, Mason nodded. My heart squeezed itself smaller. I wanted so much to change the subject, to retreat to the kind cadence of sanity, but I had to know more. I had to protect my son. 
What did he do with his eyes? A trick, Mason replied hesitantly. Told me not to tell anyone though, okay? Well, you have to tell me. His lips crinkled trying to keep the secret zipped up. Then he finally spoke. He, um, he can make them disappear. I felt drugged by his words, my head even feeling lighter, like all the logic in the world had just been raptured away. You did see them, my thoughts repeated. You did see the deep, dark wells. As quickly as all my self-doubt left, a scrim of dread filled the empty spaces. Did it scare you? I asked. Well, a little, Mason replied absently. He said not to be, though, that he'd show me how to do it, too. I grabbed his shoulder, making him jump suddenly. He didn't, though, right? He didn't do anything to you? He looked confused, like I was the one talking crazy now. No. Listen, I know he's your friend, Mason, but I need you to promise me that you won't see him anymore. Mason's gaze flicked back to mine, his eyes wide with betrayal. What? And the tears began to come down. You have to promise me, I repeated, the words like razors scraping down my tongue. But I don't want to, Mason. And after much hesitation, he tearfully replied. I promise. I hugged him, closed my eyes, and surrendered to the cruelty of it all. For the rest of that hellish week, I kept my ears tuned for the knock at the door, and for whatever reason, Todd never used the doorbell. Inevitably, the knock came. Behind the frosted glass of our front door, I could see Todd's vague shape teetering on his soles. When the door opened, he smiled up at me. Hi, can Mason come out and play? Sorry, dear, I smiled back. Mason can't play today. The corner of his mouth lifted as his neck cocked to the side. Well, can he come later? No, I don't think so, I'm sorry. His nose wrinkled and the skin between his eyebrows creased. Okay. I closed the door, watched him leave, and that was that. It might take a few times, but eventually the message would sink in. Leave my son alone. I felt a sense of pride behind that, and what could possibly better protect a boy than his mother? But when I turned and saw Mason's cold eyes from the stairs, the pride all but evaporated. When Todd returned the next day, I gave him the same answer. Then, the day after that, and the one after that. I couldn't even refuse to answer when he knocked, otherwise he'd just sit there and wait. Knock again wait some more, knowing full well we were home. Four straight evenings of it. And poor Mason, he had every right to despise me for this. No parent could want to wall themselves between their son and their best friend, his first friend, but really, what choice did I have? We were drifting apart, orbiting even farther away from one another. He was my prisoner and I was the judge sentencing him back to a lonely world. Surely he'd make new friends, right? The world was full of them, and if anything, this was proof that he could find them. 
That thought helped me cope anyway. When the knock came for the fifth time in a row, my tolerance had run out. Todd wasn't catching on, and to make matters more irritating, it was eight or so at night this time. Part of me hoped it was someone else, maybe a neighbor bringing a package by that was wrongfully left on their doorstep. But I knew better than that, and I was not allowing this to go any further. Mason was doing his homework at the kitchen table when I passed by him. No acknowledgement whatsoever. When I pulled the door open, Todd was standing beneath our porch light, both shoulders hunched over his ears as though expecting me to smack him, and perhaps verbally that is what I did. Go home, I said assertively. We're done. No more of this, alright? Can Mason come out to play? He asked sorrowfully, as though it weren't after dark. No, Todd, he can't. And he won't the next day or the next. Now go home and stay there. His small arm rubbed his sleeve nervously. It's really dark and I don't want to walk home alone. Can I use your phone to call my parents? I felt absolutely cruel. But I also knew the game that he was trying to play. You walked here on your own. You can walk back on your own. And then as I moved to close the door and end the conversation, Todd made his eyes disappear. The darkness washed over them quickly and seemed actually to curdle in his sockets. A thickening, horrible texture. His face became milky wax, the sad child disappearing behind it. Beads of perhaps sweat dripped from his temples and one ran into his eye and vanished into the void I want to come inside he spoke the sorrowful note in his voice also gone my heart slacked to a sleep slow throb I felt the need to pinch my side to tweak it hard enough to draw blood and wake me from this moment between the dead shriveled lips I could see the decayed tips of black teeth. Can I please come inside? He asked. No, I said semi-reactively. His black, craving eyes narrowed at me, and for a moment, I actually thought that they started to cry. But it was the darkness dribbling down his cheeks, oozing like oil slicks. But I just want to play with Mason... The sound of it, the sound of that horrible face, saying my son's name, snapped me out of the shock. I slammed the door closed and quickly locked it. Mason stood stiffly in the kitchen. His expression was only a shimmer of consciousness, vacant as a sleepwalker. Mason, look at me, honey. It's all okay. Everything's going to be okay. But his unfocused eyes were not facing me. Three firm knocks came from the door, and when I turned to face it, a dark shape lingered behind the frosted glass. A tall figure, taller than any adult, was hunching to look inside, and from behind the single pane that separated us, its vague shape didn't move. From the other side, Todd's childish voice was still calling. Can I please come inside? Don't you want to play, Mason? Don't you want to play? 
and I could feel it watching us, like static vibrating the air. When I tried to move Mason, he refused the budge, staring with empty eyes toward the evil thing behind the glass. Heavy as he was, I scooped him up on my arms and bolted for the stairs. It won't break in, my thoughts uttered. It isn't allowed to. That much I'm sure of. If it wanted to get in, it would have by now. It needed to be invited. And I shut both of us away in the bathroom upstairs, and when the sounds of the front door finally stopped, Mason snapped out of it. He was confused like he just missed everything that transpired, and I wasn't sure whether to consider that a blessing or not. Perhaps it was, and perhaps also, it was not God that answered my prayer. It was impossible to digest what happened that night. Sometimes I'd linger on the stairs, right on the top step, and watch the doorway, wondering if the glass would suddenly darken if Todd's voice would slip through and ask to come inside. One night, David had left a voicemail on my phone. She's gone, his voice whimpered. It got what it wanted from her. Drained her dry and now my wife won't wake up and it's left us. I don't know what it wants from your boy, but it wants something. And no matter what, don't you let it back inside. The message cut out after that, and he still won't answer my calls. Todd never did come back, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Strangely enough, the one least affected by all of this was Mason. I was worried to see him fall back into that distant bubble, but that isn't what happened. He started to make friends with other kids around the neighborhood. New friends. Normal friends. He'd become a real social butterfly, and despite my brain ripping itself apart to understand what I had seen, I at least had that comfort to cling to. Seeing Mason happy made me happy. Lately, though, I've been feeling strange. It's been harder to feel motivated about things, let alone get out of bed in the morning. Even my appetite has started to dwindle. And day by day, I've been growing increasingly sapped and lethargic. I don't know what's wrong, but it's getting worse. Mason's been helping me around the house, even going out of his way to play chef and to make me things to eat. He's a good boy, but sometimes, dear lord, I catch something in his eyes. Something that shouldn't be there. But it's only a trick of light. Please God, let it only be a trick of the light.